If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 171. We're going to be interviewing John. How you doing, John? Hey, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Glad to have you on the Chip Show. We were chatting before. Seems like we're uh, going to have a good conversation, I think. Yep, I'm excited. All right, man. So, first question I ask everybody is, tell me about your childhood. Man, honestly, for for being such an alcoholic, I had a great childhood. Okay. Uh, my parents have been married for over 50 years now Um, I've got two older brothers Um, of course being the youngest I got my share of the crap that they put me through but other than that man I mean we lived in a great neighborhood we had a lot of fun out there on the streets when I was growing up so you had a good social life yep sure did so um I guess let's skip forward a little bit what was the first age or what was your age of the first time you ever used a substance? Um, first time I drank alcohol, I was probably like 12 years old. Um, but that was just like a little sip of beer. But um, once I got into high school, that's when my drinking got pretty heavy. Um, then that's when I also started messing around with other stuff too. Of course, weed, but um, got started taking some mushrooms, ecstasy, acid stuff like that but none of that really ever caused a problem except for alcohol was alcohol normalized in your house like did your parents drink a lot or anything like that no no um my dad's side of the family had some alcoholics in it but uh both my parents i mean they'd have a glass of wine at night but that was it you know who, it was who, never in, your dad's side? who in your dad's um, side had the alcohol problems Pretty much everybody, honestly. Huh. He's, he's he's the youngest out of nine. And Did your grandfather have problems? Yes. Because yep. I was it, just it, reading something that if the grandfather had addiction issues, I think you're like 75% more likely to have addiction issues yourself. I think that's what I read. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because I just, I just read that article, I think, yesterday. Or even maybe today, I forget. I was doing a lot of research. Yeah, I've heard. I have heard that it does run through the bloodline. But surprisingly, my uh, that grandfather was my dad's stepdad. Um, his real dad took off on them when my dad was born. Um, but I mean, I've got other blood relatives that are alcoholics as well, though too. So it does. It does at least show proof that it does run in the bloodline of the yeah. family. So how did you do in high school? I mean, because what age again? You said you were 14? Um, I was probably 11 or 12 when I had my first beer. Yeah, that, but, I, uh, that I know you had like a little bit, like the first time you got intoxicated. Um, 
Yeah, that was probably around 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. So that was off of a bottle of Everclear and everything at that. Oh wow, that's some strong, that's some <laughs> yeah. strong shit. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough night. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, man, wow, that was one of the first times you got drunk. This was Everclear. That's that's crazy. Yeah. And damn near a full bottle too. Wow. Yeah. What did so, you I mean, do? Let's just say I had alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <clears throat> so you did give yourself alcohol poisoning. Yep. I puked in probably every room of the house. I puked on my dog. I mean, oh I puked so much. By, by the time I got any help for it, they couldn't even pump my stomach or anything because I had already thrown everything up. So there was nothing to pump out. So you didn't go. So when did did you actually ask for help? What was the reason? If you were, If you were throwing up, did you have something that happened while you were throwing up that made you ask for help? My parents came home. <laughs> my parents, <laughs> my the night doing a dinner with some friends or something, and I had a buddy come over and sleep over for the night, and um, we ended up raiding my parents' liquor cabinet down in the basement. And then my folks came home, and I was just all over the place, and obviously not coherent, and they obviously knew something was up. Yeah. So. Did you get in trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I was like 14, 15 at the time, you know, so. Would they, had they punish you? They definitely grounded me. They uh, took away, you know, they hid their liquor. I mean, further than where it was hidden already. Um, but I guess my parents were more kind of understanding because I was the, back then I was the good kid. You know, I was a straight A student out of all of us. I never got in any trouble. And so this one incident, you know, they didn't punish me too hard because they're like, well, I mean, look at his brothers. He's bound to have a mishap at some point or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they, they were cool about it. They didn't punish me too bad. So. How was your social life growing up? It was good. I mean, high school, I was prom king. Um, you know, I used to have tons of friends or what you'd call friends back then. Um, mm -hmm. so it was really good. I mean, every weekend going out to parties, um, cause my nickname is Rex and that's my artist and recovery name now. Um, but that used to, Rex used to be the party guy back in the day. I had my other best friend slash anytime we showed up to the parties, it was the Rex and slash show. So that's <laughs> what it became. You know? So it wasn't a party until the Rex and slash show came in. So yeah, tons of parties, and, you know, that's that's basically where my drinking started to become a problem. So. Did you recognize that it was a problem at that point, or was it just you kept partying, thinking it's normal? Yeah, just kept partying. I mean, that was because it, it didn't become a daily thing. It was just a weekend thing, but it, it got to the point where it was massive amounts during the weekends. Like, we'd always go to this place in town called Albert Tacos after parties. And I, my trunk would always be filled with more beer. And I remember one time we'd pull up to Albert Tacos along with everybody else. And um, I get out. Of, I'm driving. I get out of my car. I throw up. What do I do? I pop my trunk and grab another beer. <laughs> you know, so it, it was it was. Uh, I've unfortunately done that. I remember yeah. one time I, I drank so much and I took a shot 
and it was like my body just rejected it. It was like no more. Oh. And I threw it up. I remember throwing up in my kitchen sink, which is disgusting. And then immediately I tried to down another shot. And I, I got it down barely. But I mean, I how disgusting is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and not even that. It's like, how desperate was I? Yeah, really. For just one more shot. For some reason, it was always just that one more shot. Yep. I Until always I told myself out. that. Yeah, I always told myself back then, if you throw up, that's just making room for that much more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way we think when we're freaking alcoholic is amazing. Yeah, definitely is. Yeah, because I look at some of the stuff now that I'm sober and some of the stuff that I did while I was not sober. And I'm just like, I can't believe I did that. It sounds so stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as many times as I drove drunk, I mean, I cannot believe. I mean, I've gotten, I'm on my third DUI. I'm going through that right now. But um, when I got my first DUI, I was glad that I did because it, I even, I told everybody, I was like, it's just, I've drives drunk so much and I get away with it so many times. That's why I kept doing it because I was getting away with it. And once I got my first DUI, I got put in jail. And I was like, you know what? I'm glad I got this DUI because it made me realize that I wasn't invincible and I'd rather get busted than to have killed a family or something. Yeah, exactly. And so that was, that was my mindset then. But then the over time, the alcoholism got worse and I stopped thinking about that. I didn't have that reality in my head. So I went right back to to drinking and driving because that was the point where I was relying on alcohol. So I didn't think about that. You know, all I thought about was getting my next drink and getting it going. I mean, I had a bottle of whiskey in my freaking cup holder in my truck and I'm just sipping it like I do my coffee. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So I, yeah, mean, I lost that mindset. I was kind of the same way where when I was at work right across the street was a liquor store and I only lived maybe 20 maybe 25 minutes away but still i would go across the street to the liquor store and do two or three shots in the parking lot and then drive home and yeah. i look back right now and i say how stupid are you you could have just waited literally 20 minutes and done that at home safely but now you're risking your life you're risking your license you're risking other people's lives like you mentioned yeah, I I literally lived two or three blocks from my go-to liquor store, and I'd go in, and my my drink of choice was whiskey. I'd get the uh, pint bottles, because they're easy to conceal, and <laughs> easy to monitor my amounts, shows how much good that did. But um, yeah. as soon as I got out of the liquor store, as soon as I get in my truck, I'd take a sip, and I lived a couple blocks away, you know, like I couldn't wait. Just not even five minutes. <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah, I, I feel you there. <laughs> so, did you go to college? I'm actually, I did go to college. Um, that was when my alcoholism first started getting bad because I was married at that point. Um, but I did. College? I, yeah. I, wow. I was actually married when I was in the Navy because um, I was the Navy before the Navy, college. Yeah. So tell yep. me about I that. Did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Navy, I mean, 
we're sailors. You have to drink. It's code. (laughs) (laughs) But alcoholism didn't take part in that. Um, I, I, so I was married to a girl I've known since the first grade and uh, we were married throughout my entire military career. Um, And then when I got out, things were just bad in the marriage. And that's what really kickstarted my drinking because she actually had an addiction as well. She was addicted to ketamine. Uh, She worked at a veterinary hospital. And so she started stealing ketamine from the hospital. So in that marriage, I also had a stepson. So I was being the caretaker for her through her addiction. I was being basically a stepdad to her kid going to school full-time and working full-time. So I was doing all of that right after transitioning out of the military. So that was pretty tough life. And so that's when I um, told her, you know, I got to stay up late tonight and do this paper, but I wasn't doing a paper for school. It was because I wanted to be down there and drink and have some me time. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah. So after military, I did that, but, even with my drinking and all that stuff, I still got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, and after that, we got divorced in 2018. So after the divorce, um, I didn't have to hide my drinking anymore because I was, I was free. I had my own place. And so I was just like, sweet. So I go from drinking out of depression and trying to numb out reality with everything I was going to to drinking out of celebration that I don't have to deal with all that crap anymore and unfortunately I got in I was in relationship after relationship with other alcoholics well how long real quick how long did that celebrate you said you celebrated how long did the celebration last before it was like just routine um it was immediate routine yeah. Like immediate as soon as soon as we divorced, I was just I right away all day every day, like immediately, um, just because I at that time I considered it celebration and that was my excuse for it. But I thought to myself, you know, like I'm just gonna enjoy these first couple weeks of being free and out of that relationship. And then I'm done. I'm going to cool it. I'm going to get my life on track. But that never happened. So that lasted a good three years of that celebrating, basically. And that was drinking every waking moment. I mean, even if I got up at two o'clock in the morning to go take a piss, I'd grab my bottle and bring it with me. I'd take a swig before I put my feet on the ground. You know, Mm. literally every waking moment I was drinking at the most, it was six pints of whiskey a day for probably about three years. So. <clears throat> wow. And what did you do for a living? Um, <laughs> with the divorce, I because I'm I'm disabled veteran, so I was getting money from my disability. Okay. But I was going from dead-end job to dead-end job. I kept getting fired because I was drinking. I was actually even a... Uh, correctional officer at one point for a couple months but I got fired from because that's I mean I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice so I was lucky enough to land a a correctional officer job but shortly out of training after about three months I showed up to work drunk 
and they smelled it. They could tell. They gave me a breathalyzer, so I got fired from that. I mean, I I got <clears throat> I got fired from, a lot. Yeah, I got fired from probably about three or four jobs for drinking. Um, either that, or I'd quit because I'd call in sick too many times because I was drunk. Um, so it got to the point where I'm just like, screw this. Why am I calling sick? I'm just gonna. But I was able to do that because with my divorce. Um, I got a pretty good check out of selling a house that me and my ex-wife owned. So I got like $30,000 in the bank account plus my disability rolling in. So I didn't necessarily need to work at the time. So it really didn't bother me. Um, So I just worked because, you know, society says we have to. But um, it eventually got to the point where I was just like, you know what, I'm sick of trying to hide this from my job, trying to, you know, do this, that, and the other. I just want to sit at home and drink. So that's what I did. Um, Didn't work during that time. Um, Just lived off of that money I got from selling the house and my disability. So, like I said, that lasted probably about three or four years. I was going that way and with other alcoholics for relationships and it, it made me feel like crap because another alcoholic would end the relationship because I drank too much. Hmm. Like, wow, that's, that's pretty bad. If an alcoholic ends the relationship because you drink too much, you know what I mean? uh, Yeah. That, yeah, that happened several times and that wasn't even the peak of my drinking either. (laughs) Where did you meet these girls? Um, One of them, the one immediately after my, marriage i she was actually my ex-girlfriend ex-girlfriend from seventh grade um, <laughs> we reconnected and we got together um another girl i don't even remember how we connected but then the other girlfriend her um ex-husband was my former tattoo artist so they split up and she immediately got in touch with me but Um, luckily once she found out I was drinking as much as I was and hiding it from her she was very supportive so she quit drinking herself because she did she wasn't an alcoholic she just drank socially mainly with me but um, once she found out how bad it was she was crazy supportive and honestly I wouldn't be where I'm at today without her help through all that stuff so so who is this now um, this was my ex-girlfriend, Kelsey. From seventh grade? No, that was, no, that was someone. This is the, my former tattoo artist. Oh, that's sorry. That's what you said. <laughs> yeah, um, But, uh, yeah, so she was completely supportive. How long did it take you to, you know, actually get yourself together and life back on track with her support? <sighs> With her support, it still took about a year. Okay. Um, it got, I was hiding it. I was already hiding it from her. But then after things kind of came into light, I was hiding it even more. Um, and so, so even once you guys like talked about it and it was out yep. in the open, you still tried to hide it? Yep, I did. And then eventually I got my... Um, third DUI got put in jail again for like the fourth or fifth time. And I wasn't a, 
my parents wouldn't bail me out of jail until I promised to go to rehab. Um, so I told them I promised I'd look into it. You know, I was <laughs> like, screw that. I don't need rehab, man. I'll just tell them I'm going to look into it so I can get the hell out of here and go grab another drink. But um, luckily, you know, I did eventually get bailed out and uh, thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I need to go. And, you know, I talked to the VA and they said this is like the best rehab clinic that's out in a VA in Nebraska. Like, you know what? That actually, you know, I'm so stressed out getting out of state, being by myself in a safe space. You know, maybe, maybe this is what I need, you know? So I kind of came to the realization. And so I did. And um, been sober ever since then. And now that I'm out and I actually just hit a year sobriety just the other day, um, I'm actually back in college now getting my um, master's degree in social work. And I'm planning on helping out veterans that have substance abuse issues. Okay. So what type of actual job would you be looking for to do that? Um, I mean, it's pretty early into my degree. I just started the master's program about five weeks ago. So I'm keeping my options open. Um, But I have been looking into traveling social work, where I just be traveling the country pretty much wherever they need me, wherever they want me. Um, Hopefully bouncing from VA to VA, um, talking to other veterans about their substance issues. And, um, you know, I've I'm a veteran. I've been to jail. I've I've almost died from alcoholism several times. Honestly, I should be dead right now. If it was worth for my parents, my brothers, my ex-girlfriend, I would. Tell me about those times you almost died. Yeah. Um, aside from the many times of drinking and driving, because um, I was in several accidents, which I actually got away with. <laughs> um, but when my family started noticing how serious my drinking was so my parents own the townhome that I was living in so they're my landlords so when it got bad enough they kicked me out I ended up moving into their basement and cold turkey quit after drinking six pints of whiskey every single day for three years cold turkey quitting that's dangerous it's very dangerous I had two really bad seizures uh to the point where my mom literally thought she was watching me take my last breaths of life um there's even another point where i was just simply walking down the stairs and i got so dizzy i tripped and fell and damn near broke my back um Hmm. but those seizures were the worst of it um and what did it feel like i don't even know i don't remember it all, all I remember is just standing here at one moment to waking up with the fire department and police, EMRs. Oh, she called, she called 911. Yep. And after that, with those withdrawals, I was hallucinating for literally three days straight. Wow. Three days of straight hallucinations. My brothers even have videos of me talking about it to the police, like... What kind of thing? Um, not only what I was seeing, but what I thought I was doing. Like, for some reason, somewhere in my mind, 
I thought there was this like tourist trap in town where you could rent a helicopter, but the rotors were cut off and you could drive a helicopter through town and there were they had like snipers set up all around town. And so you're just kind of playing this war game throughout town. I thought I had just gotten done doing that. I've even got video of me telling the cops, I'll bet you passed at least 30 snipers on the way over here. <laughs> I've had other hallucinations where I was at a party and I was talking to my dad, but I was talking to my dad as if he was somebody else that I met at the party. I even had a name for him. I had a name for my mom because they were at the party, but they weren't my parents in my mind. They were these people I met at the party. And even <clears throat> next door, um, I saw all kinds of nature. Like I'm talking deer antlers, like a deer was running and hit the fence and the deer antlers were stuck in the fence. I saw snakes. I saw gophers. And I kept telling my brothers, like, hey, get over here and come look at all these animals. They're like, what are you talking about, dude? I even took a picture with my phone of the backyard, and I could still see the hallucinations from my picture. I circled and drew arrows where the animals are and sent it to my brothers. We like, look, see, I'm not lying. Like, dude, there's nothing there. And there wasn't. <laughs> and the crazy thing about those hallucinations. I mean, there's even a hell of a lot more than that. I mean, three days worth. But the crazy thing about those is even to this day, as we're talking and I'm reminiscing about those hallucinations, they still seem real up here. Like yeah. up in my mind, they happen, dude. Like it doesn't just thinking about it. It's a legit real memory. It still honestly happened up here. I, it still seems so real to this day. It's like imprinted in your brain. Yep, it is like it's just an implant of an, an artificial memory implanted into my head. But it's kind of like a Total Recall. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen that movie where you take those vacations inside your mind and they don't know that it's not real. It seems real. That's the way it is. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's all of it seems, is still so real. It's insane. So in in the rehab that you went to, that you said changed everything. What, what kind of things did they do to help you along? Like, what was like the daily schedule? <clears throat> well, the daily schedule, because I've always been interested in psychology and philosophy and spirituality and stuff like that. So our daily schedule, every day we had like four to seven different classes, anywhere from um, just self building. Like we'd even do yoga and stuff like that, mindfulness okay. stuff. But then we did also have like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy, you know, ways to look at the world from a different perspective. What's dialectic behavioral therapy? I've heard of cognitive, um, but I've never heard of dialectical. It's ba it's it's really hard for me to put into words, but it's basically looking at something almost like a glass half full glass half empty so to speak you look at the world from two different perspectives like take my alcoholism for instance i was drinking because i was depressed and pissed off and lonely and tired 
that's why I was drinking. But looking at it dialectically, my alcoholism brought me to getting to get to the point of getting my master's degree and helping others. So now I'm seeing my alcoholism happen to me for a reason, because now I'm going to be able to go out and help others. So it's kind of seeing things from two different perspectives. Gotcha. Yeah. So classes like that, I mean, really opened my eyes. And then, of course, you know, it was at a VA in Nebraska. So I'm surrounded by veterans. So just the camaraderie, all of us, you know, being a veteran, you've already got outstanding camaraderie. But then being a veteran and addicts, that, I mean, that camaraderie is insane. I talk, I still talk, we're not even in the same state as those guys. And I still talk to them more than I talk to anybody else here in town. Yeah. You know, so, and that was what, a year and a half, two years ago that I was there. And we still, I mean, that camaraderie is insane. That's what keeps them going. And that's the same thing with AA. That's what helps me with AA. Because I don't, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. And so I don't follow the 12 steps. And people say, well, why do you go to AA? And you don't follow the 12 steps because that's what AA is based around. Typically, yes, but AA for me is the camaraderie, and it's also the reminder. If I'm not going to AA, everything else in life, I kind of forget that I'm an alcoholic. So by going to AA, it's a reminder that I am still going through this and that I will always still be going through this. So it, just, it keeps it fresh in my mind that I do have this disease and that I do need to keep fighting for it and working for it in order to succeed. So the meetings help you? They do. Even even without the 12-step program, um, they most definitely do. Like I said, just as a reminder and for the camaraderie, you know, everybody there uh, knows what I'm going through. They're all going through the same thing. And, you know, another aspect of AA is helping others also helps yourself and it really does and that's why i've started to sell some of my paracord work to help inspire others um so i'm a couple uh people's sponsor um you know helping other people it lifts me up it gives me the inspiration and it also makes me i think the biggest part of keep that helping me keep sober is that i don't want to let them down these people are looking up to me and they're seeing how far i've come in my recovery by getting back into college helping other people i don't want to let them down i want to stay strong for them so that they can see that it is possible you know what i mean yeah no i know the feeling you just you just want to be a good role model definitely so what kind of things do you do to keep yourself sober nowadays um aside from aa meetings i mean what really because a major aspect of my alcoholism was boredom because I wasn't working. And, you yeah, know, I, I used to say the same the thing. Yeah, like, I was just sitting around the house doing nothing. So I actually got into working with paracord. Um, so I was always interested in it. I'm, I'm huge into knives. I have a huge knife collection. So what's paracord? Paracord is the cord that they use on the border of parachutes um, to hold it together. And so it's evolved from that to being kind of like a survival tool 
Um, but now it's also like an art, like a crafts craftsmanship. And so like take my watch band, for example, like, so you can make pretty much anything out of it. Okay. Um, so I started wrapping um, knives of handles and then it just kind of evolved from there because I really got into it and I made these ribbons. I made a ribbon so the color for the addiction recovery movement is purple um so i made a purple ribbon for me to carry around for myself as a reminder um i can't find a purple one but this is one i made for breast cancer okay nice and I use the black to signify the hole that we're in, in addiction, and then the purple to symbolize the recovery. Um, so I made one of those. Purple is the recovery color? Yeah, purple is. Um, oh, oh, here's one. It's nice. It's a nice so, purple. Yeah. So I made myself one as a reminder. And, you know, I'm on, on Facebook. I'm a part of several sober motivation groups and stuff. And I kind of posted this up just to show everybody, you know, like, Hey, you know, I started to get into this and I, I made this as a little reminder for myself, thought you guys would like to see it. Everybody loved it. And people were hitting me up to buy it, you know, how much, and, you know, I, I had no plans on selling it, but you know, everybody loved them. So I did start selling them. And I was like, dang, oh, if that's taken off, you know, maybe I can keep myself busy by making more stuff. Yeah. And so I did. And it's kind of evolved into, so like I said, my nickname is Rex. And so it's evolved into Pararex Cord. So, and now I make all kinds of stuff. I've got suppliers from several different uh, states, um, like these people, taxidermy. <laughs> They supply me with bones. And so this is a bison jawbone, and then I wrap handles on them. Okay. And then we sell it from there. So we've kind of combined our business together. Even knives. This is an elk leg bone. So, you know, by getting into my paracording and going to art shows and, you know, stuff that I enjoy, I got to meet these people. And if I was drunk still, there's no way in hell that would have happened. Yeah. You know, and, and they've, I mean, they're in Montana and they've become really good friends of mine. And uh, they were actually just here for another art show um, this last Saturday. So I drove up to the mountains to see them, went to another art show, made some other great contacts. And I'm going to be doing some more paracording for some other businesses too. Um <laughs> And, you know, had I not gotten sober and started that, there's no way that, you know, it's nothing huge. It's nothing fancy, but you know what? It keeps me busy. And the whole basis around my paracording is to help inspire others to find another hobby outside of their addiction. You know, so it's kind of proven, you know, obviously the reminder too, just stay sober, keep this with you. Every time you want a drink, take a look at it. Take a look at that black as opposed to the purple. And, you know, where would you rather be? You want to get back into that black again or 
kind of stick into that purple. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's good. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback that those, those ribbons especially have really helped people out. So it's good. And then, you know, just branching off doing all other different types of stuff, you know? Uh, Yoda. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's fun, you know, it's a blast and I'm getting into other art shows like this weekend I'm doing a farmer's market and it it's fun and if I was drunk I wouldn't be doing this stuff I wouldn't be going out experiencing all this stuff doing all these art shows meeting all these amazing people um and instead of spending money on my pints of whiskey I'm making money off something that I love to do as a hobby and at the same time I'm helping people so it's fun. That's awesome, man. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. So that that was a major stepping stone into my sobriety was doing stuff like that. And then once I kept up with that, and um, it's just more of a hobby, I'm not going to be turning it into like a lifelong, you know, I'm not trying to make it my career because it's not going to happen. But, you know, it's a fun hobby helps people. And so other than that, you know, that helped me inspire my own personal self and to do other things. And you know, holy crap, if I can do all this stuff, you know, what else can I do sober? And that's, yeah. you know, getting that joy out of helping people is what inspired me into getting back into college and getting into social work. So I can help people that much more outside of just little keychain reminders. You know, I'm turning their life around just like my parents have turned my life around. So speaking of turning your life around, do you have any advice for people that are listening? <clears throat> Not to give up. It's tough. I've relapsed countless times. You can't beat yourself up when you relapse. It's part of the process. It sucks. People will get mad at you. It's a horrible feeling. But what you got to do is remember that horrible feeling next time you want to have that drink count your days i've got a sobriety day counter on my phone it's actually the aa big book app it is so awesome looking at my phone watching those numbers go up every day and you relapse and it goes back to zero oh my god i came all this way hey that's just a new record you set for yourself to beat yeah, go and beat it. Relapses happen. The more sober you get, the more you can accomplish. Don't let the relapses get you down. You just got to keep fighting. Alcohols, not even just alcohol, but substance in general, addiction is strong. It comes off as your friend first, your best friend, but got to come to the realization that that addiction is your enemy. So it's dangerous. And you got to realize that. And you got to realize that you're stronger than it. You got to keep fighting. Don't give up. It is such a good feeling to say that I do not drink anymore. Such a good feeling. Yeah, it is. Yep. I feel proud when someone offers me a drink. I'm like, no, thank you. I went to a concert the other day. And I, I went to it by myself because ever since I sobered up, I don't have any friends, you know, <laughs> how that works. 
So, but I don't care. I don't let it stop me from doing the things that I enjoy. I went to a concert not too long ago. I got offered drinks left and right. And even though I was there by myself at the concert, I could have easily taken a drink and nobody that mattered would have known. But I still said no. And after the concert, I'm like, I can remember the entire show. That's awesome, dude. Like, I don't have to look at my pictures and be like, oh man, I wish I remembered that. (laughs) You know, I remember the entire concert. It's awesome. And yeah, saying no, being able to get that strength to say no, it's an amazing feeling. And like, a lot of people are embarrassed to say that they don't drink. I take pride in it. And actually, that's the shirt that I'm wearing, Demons Behind Me. It's an inspirational clothing line. They're actually who inspired me to sell my paracord work. They're all, they're addict, former addicts themselves. They created the clothing line to inspire others, just like I'm doing. And, you know, I wear their gear all the time because I'm not ashamed anymore that I'm an alcoholic. I'm proud that I beat it. And I think that's one of the major key steps that people should realize you need to set aside the embarrassment and push forward the pride because it shows you, yeah, it sucks. It's embarrassing that you're an alcoholic, but what's more important is how strong you are that you got past that and you beat it. Like I know my family is more proud of me now than if I was never even an alcoholic. Yeah, they'd still be proud of me, but solely for the fact that I beat it and that I'm going strong they're more proud of me now than I ever was before. And that's how I think any addict should stand as being pride. You know, I've even got another shirt that says really big, sober as fuck. And I love (laughs) wearing it, you know, like it's awesome. It's, it's a good feeling to be proud. Like, yeah, cool. You go have your drink. That's all right. I don't need one. I'm sober. I'm doing shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because, I remember when I decided I was going to go to rehab and I was like, it was, it was like, you know, counting down the days. I was like, what am I going to do when I'm out with people or I'm by myself? I was like, literally, that's all I know right now is drinking. Whenever I'm by myself, I was drinking. Like there was no time that I was by myself and not drinking. I was always drinking. It's scary at first, man. I mean, everything is after after having a lifetime of doing stuff under the influence, it's scary. It's hard to get into the, into everything, even, I mean, even sex, you know, having sex sober, finally, it's hard to get into driving sober, doing anything sober. It's, but once you get that rhythm going, I mean, it it creates such an outstanding feeling and you can feel life enter back into your body because when we're under the influence, there is no life. I even look at old pictures of myself. I look at my own eyes and there is nothing there. And I look at pictures of me now and see happiness. I see sobriety, see me moving forward, you know, like just the addiction literally sucks the life out of you. And once you get sober, you're just completely full of it. And, there really isn't a way to explain how good that feels. You just got to feel it for yourself. Yeah. You got to get that firsthand experience. 
Yep, you definitely do. And <laughs> once you once you get past the withdrawals, that's the hard part. Those withdrawals are brutal. But once you get past that, you got you got a whole new life ahead of you once you get past those withdrawals. Yeah, withdrawals. I mean, obviously, depending on where you're withdrawing from, I mean, you're going to feel different on each one. But, yeah. uh, you know, alcohol especially, it's dangerous. Yep. Definitely is. Yeah, Al- all other drugs, the withdrawals will make you feel like you're about to die. But alcohol is the only withdrawal that you actually can die from. And also benzos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, benzos too. Yep. Those are the only two. Yep. Yeah, I'm not saying the other ones are easy, but <laughs> I mean, those yeah, are the no. others. when I got the rehab, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not as bad as you guys. And uh, everyone kind of looked at me they're like, dude, you're the only one at risk of dying. So I thought the heroin addicts and the crackheads and the cokeheads, I thought they were the, were the ones at risk of dying. But I was on yeah. benzos and alcohol. I was on both for like, I was on benzos for maybe 10 years and drinking for 10 years but i was using one thing or another for like 20 years oh man that's literally half my life i was using yeah dang well good for you for coming out of that that's rough yeah that's, a, that's quite a lifespan for that yeah it was it was pretty crazy 20 years of just doing one thing or another whether it was coke or ecstasy or i mean yeah all different types of stuff acid mushrooms yeah I one time my buddy, I don't even know what it was. My buddy gave me a powder one time. It's just like he goes here. This will make you hallucinate. <laughs> so I just put it on my tongue and it made me hallucinate. Wow, he tripped. I have no idea what it was. I don't even wow. think he knew what it was. I forget where he got it from. I didn't even ask where he got it from. I don't think. Yeah, that's how bad that's I was. Crazy. Yeah. See, that's that's where I got lucky is that my family stepped in when they did because my alcoholism was bad. But luckily, because of them stepping in, it didn't last as long as you did. You know, I don't have 20, 30 years worth of addiction. I mean, granted, what I drank could span out to that. But yeah. you know, luckily, mine only lasted for probably about five or six years maybe a little more in general but i don't i can't say i've had it is and especially doing it every single waking moment so it is but i mean thank god that my family stepped in and my ex-girlfriend helped me out um because otherwise yeah like i said i'd either be dead or i could be you know one of those 20 30 40 year people that have done it for that long so I mean, I'm 37 years old now. I'm back in college, and I kept going for a couple more years. I'd be too old, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, luckily, they stepped in when they did, and it didn't. That's great. It wasn't that bad for that long a time. No, that's great. Yeah. All right. So, again, towards the end here, did you have anything that you wanted to throw in? Um, just the oh, fact, real quick, th- how do we find? Yeah. How, if if somebody wants to buy your stuff, how do they find you? Oh, yeah, just on um, either Instagram, Facebook, or um, I got a couple videos on TikTok at Pararex Cord. Okay. So 
Yep, just like paracord, but Rex in the middle. So yeah, you just hop on that and all I don't have a website. I'm just on the social media stuff because I don't want to pay for a website when it's working. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, I, so, I got a website and got got kind of expensive on me. Yeah. Well, and I've even got, you know, since this is all based on addiction, um, I put my phone number out there. Uh, my inbox is always open too if anyone needs somebody to talk to. I throw up some inspirational quotes here and there, you know, because that's what this is based upon. I don't I don't want it to be just about money or anything like that. It's solely focused on inspiring others. So even if you don't want to buy anything, still come to the website, get in touch with me if you need someone to talk to, if you need some inspiration, if you just need to, you know, just vent, you know, people need friends, people, you can't do this by yourself. You got to have somebody there to help you. If you don't have anybody, come to my webpage. My phone is always open and so is my inbox. So feel free to get in touch with me. That's why I'm here. That's great, man. Appreciate what you're doing. Definitely. I appreciate what you're doing too. It's awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, dude. So sit tight for me. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok. Um, also, check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of resources as well as free literature. So that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time.